Welcome to the Red Riley Podcast, produced by Piscataqua Press in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You can find out more about the Red Riley books at redreillybooks.com. Now on with the show. Chicago Blue, A Red Riley Adventure, Book One, by Stephanie Andrews. Narrated by Christy Alsip. Copyright 2017. Production Copyright 2020. Chapter 4. Carter Blaylock. Seemed I had some time on my hands, so I thought I'd look into Carter Blaylock. A normal person might take a double dose of their prescribed painkillers and lay on the couch watching Titanic again, but I was too stirred up by the suspension. I couldn't relax, and I had questions that I wanted answered. I can't say that I ever really loved being a cop. For some people, it's a way of life. They'd rather be in their cruiser than anywhere else in the world, and most of them were doing the job for all the right reasons. I sort of fell into it and never quite climbed out. Certainly other things called to me. I'd wanted to be a lawyer. I had expected to be a lawyer. But that hadn't worked out. I also liked art and history and reading. Two things kept me on the force. One, admittedly, was inertia. I was still young enough to get my law degree. I could probably get some decent financial aid to make that happen, but every time I got serious about it, something pulled me back, and I lost my momentum. The other thing was my strong sense of justice. I hate, hate to see people getting away with things. At the same time, I hate to see people getting a raw deal because they don't have the education or the money to properly defend themselves. Being a beat cop let me play mediator. If I thought someone needed a second chance, I could look the other way. If I thought someone was taking advantage, I didn't mind stepping in and making things a little more difficult for them. These scenarios play out daily when you are patrolling a city like Chicago. Lately, however, the rise in shootings, though not in my part of the city, was giving me pause. Add to that a feeling that the higher-ups in the department didn't necessarily have my back, And I was seriously thinking once again of quitting. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had gone once more to Northwestern to pick up enrollment information. All that said, however, the suspension rankled. I might want to quit, but I wasn't going to do it under a cloud. It seemed the worst sort of expediency to decide that my behavior was suspect simply because I had failed to stop the explosion. I wanted to get to the bottom of this. I threw my laptop in my satchel and took the bus downtown to the creamery, my favorite coffee place. It had lots of old, mismatched furniture and served coffee in miscellaneous mugs collected over the years. I didn't like the new ultra-modern places with stainless steel or even copper tabletops and overly artful lighting. I had been getting my coffee there every morning for about six months when one day, a few weeks ago, I just said, the usual. The barista, baristo was a tall black guy named Orin who worked most every morning, and he gave me a look that indicated that he had no idea who I was or what my regular drink was. It was depressing, but par for the course. I thought about changing coffee shops, but I knew it wasn't his fault. Orin was there today, and I ordered a large dark roast with cream only. I found a table in one corner and pulled out my laptop. I fired it up, grimacing at the Chicago Police logo that always came up first thing. When I entered my password, I was greeted with an error message. Username or password is incorrect. I typed it again, and then again, to make sure I hadn't made an error. After the third time, the message read, Security lockout. 
please contact system administrator. Damn it. When they said suspended, they really meant it. I was completely locked out. I couldn't even get to a browser to log into the coffee shop's Wi-Fi. I pulled out my phone to use instead, but it had a tiny screen, and by the time I found my way to Google, my head was already splitting. I took off the Cubs hat I was wearing to massage my temple, but instantly felt self-conscious about my shaved head and the white gauze bandages. The remnants of two black eyes was off-putting enough. I didn't want to scare everyone. I put the cap back on and took out my medicine bottle, looked around furtively at the other patrons to see if anyone was watching the crazy woman taking drugs. I thumbed two tablets into my mouth and washed them down with a gulp of molten lava that scalded my throat. Damn, they brew it hot here. I wondered briefly if they would let me back into the hospital if I asked nicely, because things out here were just not going well. I decided to go to the library and get on the computers there, but when I stood up, I felt a bit dizzy. Suddenly, the idea of going to the library every time I needed the internet seemed too much of a struggle. I needed another solution. I sat back down and finished my coffee. Twenty minutes later, I left the creamery feeling marginally better. The drugs must have kicked in. I also had a new idea. Marty. I fished around in my satchel, looking for his business card. The bag was an old leather one Dad had given me when I went to college, and I still used it every day when I wasn't on duty. It looked like the kind of bag an important old barrister would carry as he entered the courtroom, and this wasn't by accident. Nothing my dad did was ever by accident. I hadn't cleaned it out since I got it more than a decade ago, and now I started cursing as I stuck my fingers in all the various interior pockets. One had something sticky in it, but luckily the next pocket had old Kleenex in it which I used to wipe my fingers off. Finally, I found a little stash of business cards that I had collected from random people over the years. I searched through them until I found one for Martin Martinek, Technology Acquired Inc. Marty had once told me that he could get any kind of computer or phone I needed, if I ever needed one, and fast. At the time, I had wondered, why would I ever need one fast? But today seemed like the day. The address was only a few blocks away. I was surprised by the Lakeshore Drive address, as it seemed a little upscale for Ruby's nephew, but I decided to head that way. It made sense to get my own laptop, but if it was only going to be for a few weeks, then I didn't want to spend a lot of money. If it turned out to be longer, I could always trade up. I walked along the lake. It was spring in Chicago, a city that was known for always being too hot or too cold, but today was a Goldilocks day, and I enjoyed the cool breeze and the sunshine. I breathed deeply and relaxed, until suddenly, sirens split the air a block or two away. That was part of Chicago, too. The noise and the mayhem. I craned my head to the right and could see black smoke rising behind a few of the skyscrapers. There was a fire or something going on, but I was suspended, so screw that. I lightened my step and whistled as I strolled along the lake. Whatever that was, it was somebody else's problem. I turned onto the block of the office building that was listed on the card. It was fancy and about 30 stories tall. This couldn't be right. I'd only met Marty a few times at Ruby's place, and not only was he too young to have an office in a place like this, he was way too uncouth, unwashed, uneducated, un-everything. Don't get me wrong, he was very bright, but in a relaxed, laid-back way that certainly didn't fit in with this neighborhood. I leaned against a tall lamppost made of black aluminum, looked again at the card, and reached for my phone. It made sense to give him a call first. 
As I was dialing, I heard a strange metallic ping sound above my head and felt a tremor pass from the light pole to my shoulder. I looked up, expecting I don't know what, when there was a ricochet sound by my feet and a sharp pain in my lower left calf. Ouch! Damn it! Just then, a wasp buzzed by my ear and my drugged-up brain finally made the connection. Someone was shooting at me. This seemed ridiculously unlikely. Cop shows and news hyperbole aside, there isn't a huge amount of gunplay on the streets of Chicago in broad daylight, and especially not on Lakeshore Drive. So, I did the foolish thing. I stood there and looked around. When I noticed an SUV with tinted windows idling half a block away, I suddenly got a creeping feeling all over my flesh. It was so unquestionable, so visceral, that I knew I was in real danger. I doubled over and puked my coffee everywhere, perhaps saving my own life as I heard another bullet ping off the lamppost to where my head had just been. I looked up to see that the SUV had lurched out of its parking spot and was speeding toward me. Without thinking, I sprinted up the walkway to the glass entrance of the building, all the aches and pains of my injuries forgotten. I heard a screech of tires as the SUV jumped the curb and started after me. A man exiting the doorway looked up in surprise, and then terror, and then leapt away to the side. I ran through the door as it was swinging shut and heard the squeal of brakes behind me. I hunched my shoulders, waiting for the shattering of glass, either from bullets or from the vehicle smashing into the front of the building, but it didn't come. Without looking back, I ran for the place ahead that seemed safest, a solid wooden door to the right of the elevators. I burst through it and into a stairwell with so much momentum that I couldn't stop and ran straight into the metal railing, knocking the wind out of myself. I turned to see the door close behind me, but when I stepped toward it, the world tilted and then went dark. Chapter 5 When I woke up, my head was a cracked church bell. I was lying flat in bed, looking up at a movie poster of Olivia Newton-John and Travolta. No, wait, that's Michelle Pfeiffer. Must be Grease, too. Where the hell was I? I turned my head to see a wall covered with movie posters, all from the 1980s. Seriously, what the hell? I sat up, slowly, and pulled the blanket off me, only then realizing I was in my underwear. Jesus Christ! I jumped back under the covers in a panic. A secret government prison wouldn't feature a poster of Blade Runner, would it? How about a crazed serial killer? More plausible, though surely a psychotic madman wouldn't have left my underpants on, would they? The room was clean and simple. Besides the movie posters, there was a bed, a chest of drawers, and a bedside table with a lamp. A clock on the table read 11 o'clock, but I didn't know if that was a.m. or p.m. because there were no windows. Just then, a door opened. I clutched the blanket up to my chest as a young man entered. Oh, good. You're up. I was about to call an ambulance. Marty? Yes, that's right. You're Kay, right? Ruby's friend? Where the hell are my clothes? In the bathroom. You had puked all over them. I washed them in the sink. It was pretty gross. Shut up. Stop. Are you... Just stop. Back up. How did I get here? Marty took a step back and raised his arms in a gesture of surrender. He was in his early 20s and unshaven. He wore jeans, a hooded sweatshirt, 
dark-framed hipster glasses and had bare feet. He didn't look particularly threatening, but I was completely freaked out. I was working at my desk when I heard loud noises, he began. Squealing tires, maybe, or some sort of accident. I came out in the hall and up the stairs to see what was going on, and I found you lying on the landing covered in puke and bleeding. My hand went instinctively to my head, but only felt dry bandages. I put a new bandage on, Marty said, and one on your calf. I reached under the covers and felt, sure enough, some sort of gauze taped over the back of my left calf. I had no idea why I would be bleeding there, but then again, I was a bit lost at the moment. Thank you, I said calmly, but my brain was screaming. Could I get my clothes, please? I'm sorry, they're soaking wet. You've only been asleep about 45 minutes. How about something else, then? Do you have something I can borrow? Because I'm about to completely lose my shit. Marty pointed at a dresser in the corner. Help yourself, he said. I'll be in the other room. His entire wardrobe seemed to be made up of jeans and sweatshirts, and a few minutes later, we were standing in his living room looking like twins, or an ad for Old Navy. I felt so much better being dressed, even if the clothes were baggy on me. I don't think I had ever thought of myself as particularly shy, but I hate to think of myself as weak, and it's hard to feel strong when you're half-naked and not by choice. My nerves were shot, and my mind was still going to a thousand different places, but as I stood there, barefoot on the gray industrial carpet, I managed to take several deep and calming breaths, like I had learned in Taekwondo class a million years ago. The room had a kitchenette and a small work area that was mostly taken up by two six-foot folding tables acting as a computer workstation. There were three monitors and many small boxes with flashing lights, well beyond my skill level, and of course, cables running everywhere. To the right of the table was a floor-to-ceiling corkboard covered with slips of paper, tacked-up photos of computer equipment, and a poster of Michael J. Fox climbing out of a DeLorean. Marty saw it catch my eye. That's a great one, huh? Hello, McFly. He reached out to wrap his knuckles on my head, but thought better of it, either remembering the big bandage on my skull or just from basic manners. I'm not sure which. He gave a half-hearted knock on his own head. The classic. Surely, I agreed, with the slow nod one saves for the less lucid citizens one encounters on a cop's daily beat. Can we? Right. Right, he exclaimed, and gestured to the bar separating the kitchen from the rest of the room. I gingerly climbed up on one of the bar stools while he got me a glass of water and leaned on the other side of the counter. Okay, I began. You said you came up the stairs. Are we in the basement? Yes, it's, uh, my artist studio? With no windows? Not all artists use paint, you know. Technology is where the front edge... I held up a hand to stop him mid-sentence. Sorry, headache too big. I hated to be rude, but a long-winded explanation of the deep artistic aspects of computer coding was not what I was up for just then. Right. Right. He had a way of emphasizing the second right, as if he had just suddenly understood an incredible mystery, thanks to you. His eyes widened and his eyebrows shot up. It was a little adorable. He rummaged through some of the kitchen drawers until he came up with a bottle of aspirin, which he handed to me. 
We're in the basement, in my brainstorming bunker, as I like to call it. I have a little house in Evanston, but when I'm working on a project, I like to come here so I can focus and also remain anonymous. I was shocked. You have a house? I thought you just fixed old computers. Last time I saw you at Ruby's, I swear you asked her for $20. He looked away, sheepishly. That was a long time ago. A year, maybe? Things change quickly in my industry. I'm working on some very exciting game applications, and some other things as well. He looked to the side again as he spoke. He was a terrible liar. Or, I'm an excellent cop. But I let it go for the moment. Are you hungry? He asked, and I realized I was. When I nodded, he pulled out some eggs and cheese and started to make an omelet. What are you doing here, in this building? I was looking for you, actually, I said, and he turned around with alarm. I pointed to my leather bag, which I had spotted in the corner with my shoes. My laptop is frozen, and I was hoping to either have you fix it or to pick up a used one for me to use while I'm on suspension. He sighed in relief. Oh, yes, I heard about that. I'm sorry. Throw it up here on the counter and let me take a look at it. I should call Ruby, I said, and let her know I'm here. He looked at me again, and his brow crinkled. I'm not sure that's a good idea, he said, and as he attempted to turn the omelet, it became clear I would be having scrambled eggs. Oh, I asked, raising my eyebrows. I could see he was trying to judge just how much to tell me. He knew I was a cop, after all. It's just, well, the excitement upstairs earlier. After I carried you down here, I went back up to the lobby and looked around. A lot of guys in dark suits. They didn't see me, and I think it is better that they didn't. And better if Aunt Ruby doesn't know anything about it. They were after me, I told him in a flat voice. What? Whatever you're into, you don't have to worry about those guys. They were after me. I stopped outside to call you before knocking on your door, and someone in a black SUV with tinted windows started shooting at me. You're kidding me! Why? I don't know. It's got to have something to do with Carter Blaylock. The CEO who blew up all over you? Well put. I grimaced and swallowed two aspirin. It had to be connected to Blaylock, my attempt to apprehend him and the subsequent explosion. There was not a single other thing in my life that would cause someone to take an interest in me, never mind try to kill me. My run-in with the telecom CEO was the only thing unusual that had happened to me in, I don't know, a decade? He slid the eggs onto a plate and set them in front of me. As I dug in, I was ravenous. He moved my laptop to his work table and plugged it into something. The screen lit up, and things began to beep. He came back over to the kitchen, took two glasses from a cabinet, and poured us both some orange juice. So, you don't think this had anything to do with me? No, it doesn't. But you clearly thought it did. Well, there's a lot of balls up in the air right now. Marty. I gave him my big sister stare. He was cute, but a decade younger than me. Flirting was unlikely to work. If I was going to get any help from him, it was clearly going to require playing up my friendship with Ruby. And you're a cop, he continued. Not right now, I'm not. True. Still, we don't know each other very well. 
I think it's best to stay on subject. He carried his juice over to the laptop when it made a new and different beep. Here we go, he said, and started typing on the keyboard. I swiveled on the bar stool, but couldn't see the computer screen, only his lit face, which moved slowly from delighted to concerned to aghast. What is it? I could feel panic rising in my throat. He looked at my bag in the corner. Is your cell phone in there? No, why? I mean, I dropped it on the sidewalk when the shooting started. It's probably smashed. Good, he said grimly, as he crossed the floor and took each of my upper arms tightly in his hands. What the hell? I tried to pull away. Good, he repeated. Then nobody knows you're here, he said, and dragged me off the bar stool. Chapter 6 At first I thought he meant something sinister, and he was going to either kill me and eat me, or keep me in this basement in a cage, neither of which was very appealing. But that wasn't it. Look at this, Marty exclaimed, pulling me urgently across the room. I realized he didn't actually mean me any harm. He was just freaked out. He pulled me to the screen of my laptop, which was showing a video of a local news report. On the screen, I could see a downtown skyscraper, and as I watched, a fiery explosion blew out one of the upper floor windows, sending glass and debris raining down to the street below. This image was replaced by a newscaster, and Marty hit the volume button as the woman began to talk. Emergency crews are still arriving on the horrific scene here at Ilcom Tower, where we have confirmed at least one person severely injured from an upper-story explosion— the building is currently being evacuated. After last week's bombing at the Farnham building, the tech world is understandably on edge. Oh my God, I gasped, but Marty shushed me. Wait for it. I looked back at the screen, where the action had shifted to a man behind a desk in a newsroom. Police have not released the name of the bombing victim yet, but they are circulating this photo of a person of interest in the crime. Oh, no. I croaked as my police ID photo came up on the screen, with my name beneath it. Suspended police officer Kay Riley is sought as a suspect in today's bombing. She was last seen in the Lakeview area, and viewers with information on her whereabouts are urged to call the hotline number at the bottom of your screen. While police have refused to articulate Riley's involvement, it should be assumed that she is potentially armed and dangerous. I sat down heavily in his office chair, staring at the screen. Marty reached forward and muted the sound, and then looked at me. I don't... I said. That's not... And then I started to heave up the eggs I had just eaten. No! shouted Marty. No! 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 And he spun my chair away from the computers and toward the trash can in the corner. And just in time, too. <laughs> 